Hello, and welcome to Indie Apocalypse Radio. Andrew, Indie Apocalypse Radio, of course, being the one, the only, the guaranteed spot for your podcast and radio show needs for things about indie video games that are probably not actually about indie games. I am here today with my first guest, I hope, Eve. Hello. Hello, I am here, yes. Yes, phew, I saw a muted microphone. I was like, oh no, I hope you make it back in time. <laughs> I did, I did. All right, hello, how you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. I'm uh, currently kind of crunching to get a game for the latest Bitsy Jam due on time, but I think I'm going to get there. Okay, that is... No, wait, what was the name of that one? I, I knew the name of that one, but I forgot. Is that the uh, candle one, right? Candle Jam? Yes, that's the one, yeah. Okay, I'm a big fan of Bitsy. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I never thought that I would like actually be able to make games with visuals uh, because but, I'm terrible at art. But, you know, Bitsy just is so easy that you can just do it. Like, this is sounding like an advert for Bitsy, which it kind of is going, no, no. Bitsy, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Go I... make a game now. I, if Indie Apocalypse ends up being an advert for Bitsy, I am perfectly fine for that. It is like, it's it's a very clear, I think communities form around like more niche engines like Bitsy. And it, Bitsy has like a very like clear sense of community that I like. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is great. Yeah. Uh, so, Eve, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um. Well, I am living in Scotland. Uh and I'm currently studying for a master's in playwriting and screenwriting. Uh, so games, little games are something that I sort of do in my spare time. And uh, we're, I, I already know, I'm sure you already know, but I'm saying this for the benefit of our listeners. I made white dresses on branches in Apocalypse number 12. Yeah, it just came out, but yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's new and fresh, hot off the press. Yes, well, thank you. I'm I'm very bad at plugging my own stuff and other people's stuff, but now it's good. Now, tell me a little bit about <laughs> white dresses on branches. Oh, um, so this was the first video game I ever finished. I tried to make something earlier. It's, so it's built in Twine, which I don't yeah. know. Um, I'm never quite sure how popular Twine is uh, in indie gaming circles. I think fairly popular. Yeah, it's so I easy. feel like it's uh, it's very. It's very popular in indie gamer circles. I think I think the heyday of like mainstream paying attention to Twine games is kind of like come and gone. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm I'm really really used to like in conversation when I mention like oh I built this game in Twine and I have to stop and go on this whole spiel about what Twine is for like ten minutes. But I'm glad I don't need to do that here probably. Yeah, no, no. I yeah. hope the people who listen to this know what Twine is, but it's an H- it's like an HTML text adventure thing where yeah. you click on hyperlinks. Yeah. Um. And so I'd tried making something before that, uh, before White Dress on Branches in Twine, gotten about 70% through it and then lost it to like computer crash error, oh. uh, which was annoying. Yeah, but I was honestly looking back, it was kind of a good thing because I think that game is what I, I was going into it like, oh, I'll make like a good game. Okay. Whereas with White Dress <laughs> on Branches, I really went into it like, I'm going to make what I want to make. Okay, yes. Yeah, that Just is... completely. I mean, that's part of why I started Indie Apocalypse, so that people can make what they want to make and not worry about yeah. whether it makes money or not. And then hopefully yeah. I'll cover up the rest of that for you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, and so I had this idea. So the game is basically like 
slightly weird, surreal narrative set in a world in which tapeworms have become like these huge, powerful things that roam the oceans. Don't worry, it doesn't make any sense, even if you play it. Um, But I, and the reason I started writing it is at the time, which was like about almost exactly a year ago, actually, I, I had a really strong and irrational fear of tapeworms. So the way my brain works is it likes to get fixated on something to worry about. And I was like really worried about it. So I was like, oh my God, well, if I have a tapeworm, that would be right, the worst right. How thing would you in the world. know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is, well, that's one of the things I think is so kind of, appe- well, not appealingly the opposite, but like... Um, the, yes, I know what you're saying. Vividly creepy about tapeworms is that you wouldn't even know if you had one, maybe. Right. And if you look yeah. it up, it's like they're one of those, those old-fashioned WebMD, oh, all of my symptoms always apply to tapeworms. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, my, my tummy hurts? Tapeworm. And, I'm tired? And... <laughs> tapeworms. <laughs> I'm hungry? Yeah. Um, so and so I thought, oh, I find, uh, there's obviously something that's quite compelling to me about this idea. So what if I made a game about it? And at the time, I was also doing – I was – back-to-back two modules for my English literature undergrad, which was Victorian novels and then Gothic romantic literature, romantic Gothic literature, I should say. Um, So I was also thinking about that a lot. And then, so I then started thinking about the image, the urban legend of, oh, Victorian women used to swallow tapeworm eggs so they could stay thin and fit their corsets. (laughs) Yeah, which is, and it's interesting because, and I was like looking into it, and I was like, "Oh, there's no evidence for this whatsoever." Basically, no. okay. But, no, but it does no, sound no, like <laughs> it's a very convincing thing. You could say, "Oh, well, people in the old times." Yeah, it's very like yeah. Leech, I mean, very they... leech adjacent. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, I was, I was like, it's funny that there's no evidence for this, but the idea is still quite prevalent. Like people still repeat it and stuff. And I was like. Well, there must be something to that idea that is obviously capturing people's imaginations. And then I do what I like to do, basically, whenever I write anything. It's one thing to like about horror, actually, is I just took an idea and went to, like, the furthest possible right. place. Just pushed it as far as it will go. And, yeah, and that's kind of how it ended up being what it is. Well, great. No, I, I am a big proponent of Twine and, like, interactive fiction games and like mm. all types of styles of games. Cause they're also like so many of them are like so differently evocative and yes, like yes. use like the hyperlink trail so differently than one another. I mean, yours has like inventory in it, which yeah. comes up occasionally. Or, I mean, loose inventory, I suppose. Yeah. So that is, it's, that's almost a sort of vestigial element vestigial yeah. from, um, from when I first started it, because I also, there was a lot of things going on. What I was doing for my undergraduate, my, my undergraduate dissertation, I wrote it talking about um, the twine writer Paul Pentine's, yes. uh, um what she does with tropes from classic text adventure fiction like Colossal Cave Adventure from the 1970s, 1980s, sorry. Yeah. Maybe it was the 1970s. I should really know that, but... I should. Anyway. I'm like in a. I'm like in a hub of interactive fiction, so I'm not going to speak out of turn for interactive fiction, <laughs> lest I be shunned. <laughs> One of the two. Well, it has like 50 versions. Colossal Cave Adventure. So, yeah. So I was doing a lot of looking at really, really classic text adventures, and I, I really like inventory spaces. I think they're this really kind of 
like liminal space from the game itself where like I had a whole section of this and I had to cut it for my dissertation um and <laughs> which probably says something about it right. which is just like inventory spaces they're like this safe space where the horrors of the game world don't impinge on which yeah, they... <laughs> I find kind of interesting it's just it's a um, list without flowery language it's like yeah. one candle three <laughs> yards of rope yes Yes, yes. And there's something about seeing, like, and there's something quite comforting, I think, about, like, you're literally lost in a dungeon. Oh, but it's okay. I have my, like, trusty pocket knife and yeah. magic wand with me. Um, but the more I... So the initial plan was for the inventory to be sort of always there. And that didn't really end up happening. It just didn't... Uh, it just didn't really connect very well with what I was doing. So I ended up kind of abandoning, but it's still in there at the beginning as kind of, like, a nod to um the classic text adventures that i was very inspired by well perfect um now i have to ask you this question a very important question i need to ask of every contributor to indiepocalypse mm-hmm. how did you find indiepocalypse that is a really good question i was actually thinking about this before i came on the show because i was like i bet he'll ask this <laughs> well, well, it's, something that... I, it's something i need to know like as in how do i get more people to it <laughs> so i'm pretty sure i just saw it um retweeted on twitter okay uh yeah, and and I think I saw it retweeted on Twitter, and then I was also browsing through the game jams on Itch, and I saw it, and I was like, oh, that's that thing I saw on Twitter. Might as well submit my game to it that I've been sort of looking for a home for for like a little while, and yeah. Well, well perfect. Well, I'm glad I could find I could provide such a home. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's kind of a bit of. Well, I think it's kind of an example of what Indie Apocalypse is really good for and i saw that when i was just like looking through all the old zines and stuff it's just homes for like weird little games that don't neatly fit into any box right i love like weird games like that are i mean they they, they don't fit into like how would you pit eve i'm a publisher (laughs) pitch me (laughs) pitch me white dresses on branches i'm oh gosh like where would you start okay hello yes welcome to my office please step in have you ever wanted to be a sort of caricature of Victorian governess and mm. a tapeworm um, at the same time? Well, not at the same time, in the same game? No. Now you can be. Now, Eve, this sounds yeah. like one of those dating games. Am I going to date the different tapeworms? I hear... No, but maybe in version two. Maybe in the, that's in the deluxe edition. Mm, you can, there's a secret ending where you invent the tapeworm. Because I hear, I go to Steam and I see people dating things you're not supposed to date all the time. It seems very popular <laughs> with the kids nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> I have noticed that dating sims have had a big burst in popularity lately. Is that yeah. just me? I, I've definitely noticed that. Yeah, it's, and it's, there is a, I, I joke, but there is a lot of like, I think I saw one just the other day of like, you're dating like a raptor or cryptids or something. And it's like very much yeah. this kind of like, oh, well, you're dating personifications of things that are not usually dateable. Yeah. Her total boyfriend changed things. That yes, I think, yes. I think we can all agree. <laughs> yes. And it was like, it was a sea change. And it's also weird that I saw, I think I saw like, it's also like a perfect example of like the lack of attribute, like how attribution atrophies in games. Cause I think I saw mm-hmm. who was it? It might've even been like the fall guys devs being like attributed to had a boyfriend. I'm like, excuse me. 
That would be that. I mean, that would be amazing if that turned out to be true. Don't get but me no, wrong. No, it was but... like a woman in Japan that did it, and they yeah, probably I like localized it. Hmm. Honestly, like looking back, Hatofu, which I haven't played, incidentally, so all my opinions on it are purely from like screenshots. It's yeah. one of those things where I feel like if it it would be so popular if it was released now. Like it really when you say something's before its time, uh, yes. like ahead of its time. I think a dope boyfriend was actually quite ahead of its time. Yeah, no, I have dreams and aspirations of like a very Criterion style, like deeper curation with interviews and all sorts of things. And like, Hadful Boyfriend is like among like my trio to be included initially. Mm. Yeah, it's one of those games that like no one really talks about changing the indie game scene but probably actually did change the indie game scene yeah like it brought dating games to like a bigger forefront and it very much popularized the idea of dating like you know different kitchen appliances but they're all like really hot people (laughs) yes yes Uh, i um yes sorry go on no no i didn't have anything to say yet i was like starting a question and then i was hoping my brain would find it along the way (laughs) I was I was just gonna say out there just thinking about visual novels, but like I think also Doki Doki Literature Club. Yes. Really made people interested in visual novels. No, I again, had a submission which, that was very like okay. I would say very Doki Doki liter- having also never played that game. Oh, it's good. I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm a I'm a weird guy who's like whenever something comes super popular, I like oh, I'm never gonna play. I'll give it five years. Yeah, I th- I honestly think that's that's a pretty good way to be about stuff like. Because, I mean, I have to be that way, otherwise I just buy everything I see on Steam and I can't yeah. do that. So, <laughs> but, yeah, it was it's one of those things that's, like, I'm never sure whether or not to recommend it to people. Right. Because it's one of those things, like, if you're the kind of person for Doki Doki Literature Club, you'll probably know. Uh, and, and then you'll probably seek it out. Right. Okay. Or you've maybe have already played it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I have, I am, I am loosely aware of that is like a horror game and is metatextual. Yes. yes Eversion. I did like Eversion. I remember playing Eversion, Eversion like three or four years way, well after the fact. Eversion is one of the huge number. In fact, I would say 90% of all video games that looks really good. I've tried it, but I couldn't, I, I can't do it. I can't do platformer games like that. I, can't, yeah. I don't have like any hand-eye coordination, so I have to sort of live voraciously through, vicariously rather, through other people telling me what happens at the end of a version while I'm just like pottering around in the first level, right. unable to do anything. <laughs> yeah, I have. I, here's a secret for the stream. I've had an idea for a game that I want to make for a while. That mm. it looks like a very standard like platformer adventure, whatever. Like it's just like a video game ass video game. Yes, yes, I know exactly but, what you mean. But it pulls RPG like, maker. Yeah, yeah, something something that like is completely unassuming. But mm. then like it pulls like a random seed, like one in a hundred thousand or something at the beginning. And if you mm-hmm. trip that one in a hundred thousand, it becomes like a cursed creepy pasta ROM. I would that like that is the kind of stuff I love, just like really stuff that is yeah, I love, like, normality yeah. with a layer of weirdness. Right, so, like, 90% of the players will, like, never encounter it. Or, like, who knows, mm. it could go years before any players encounter, like, this weird cursed version of the game. Yeah, I mean, my, my all-time favorite game is Yumaniki, and Yumaniki is so good for the fact that, like, 
so much of it, it you have to like be guided through it through other players so yeah. as as a, as a as a single item it is single object is completely different from the object to something with a community built around it which right. i love that in games i have like that is something i've been meaning to play for like years upon years oh it's very good i'm a fan of you, like yeah like i'm sure like his influence has crept all over the place oh yeah yeah it's it's one of those it's one of those games where it it feels like tr a true artistic statement like yeah. uh, talking about how i wanted to make something that was like no compromise what i wanted to do it feels like kikiyama just sat down and made the thing that they wanted to make just completely and i i, I mean i'm like a huge nerdy fan of it so right yeah it's i'm legally obligated to say this basically yeah i think that's like i think that's what like allows things to endure if you like i often believe that if like things that appeal broadly to everyone don't really appeal to any one person in particular mm. if that makes sense yeah 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 definitely like so, i think a lot of the people people will play yumaniki and they'll be like i like i don't get it like nothing's like what is the point of this game right and it's like mm, this game doesn't really have a point it just kind of is which is one of the things i think is so good about it yeah i have definitely there are games that have been in past and future issues where I'm like, oh, I don't like this game is just like a vibe and I appreciate yes. what the vibe is. Yes. Like the thing with you and Nikki, so no, I, I, I won't spoil it, but the ending for you and Nikki is not that good. But, and I, I struggled with that for a long time. And very recently actually I realized, oh, the, the point of you and Nikki is not to play it like a sort of traditional game with a beginning, a middle and an ending, right. like a traditional RPG maker game. It is just a vibe. You just you just go there and vibe. Like, yeah. so good. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yes. That, that, there's Because that exists in, like, other art forms, like, extensively. Yeah. I just watched, no, I don't know yeah. if you've no ever seen... No one's like, oh, this Mark Rothko ex 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 exhibition has, like, a crap ending. Like, right, yeah. People are like, oh, <laughs> that's a good Mark Rothko. I just watched recently um, Picnic at Hanging Rock, which has, like... <laughs> Of that film uh, absolute non-ending to it yeah and, it's just and, like... and that is because that is a tone piece right and yeah and, and it's funny how in some art forms something being a tone piece is accepted and in some it's not like it's very hard like i think people just assume that video games aren't trying to do that and it's like well actually loads of them are like i recently played i don't know if you've heard of islands non-places uh, i don't think so I'm trying to quickly, very quickly Google who that is by, but it is um, da, 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 by Carl Burton. Um, it is so beautiful. And the only, so it's a game where the only thing you do is interact with small areas of these beautiful, well, sort of vapor wavery, beautiful scenes and watch yeah. what happens when you interact with things. And it's kind of like if a screen set one of those old like Windows ninety eight screensavers was a game, right? And it's really good. And oh, it's so good. And highly I, recommend. I like on the Steam page one of his tags is casual. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> and it's funny because the idea of something being casual tends right. to imply a sort of levity, you know. Yes. But now you mention that, it's like. 
I mean, you can do five minutes of it and go somewhere else. And I right. guess that qualifies it as casual, but it's got this like great seriousness to yeah, it. It doesn't require yeah. gamer reflexes. No, no. <laughs> but no, it's the Dark Souls of Windows 98 screensavers. Yes, the true, <laughs> the true Dark Souls of walking simulators. <laughs> uh, uh, someone recently had like a last issue. Someone did a review because I have like I occasionally. Hey, if you want to write reviews for Indie Apocalypse, I like to have small capsule reviews. That's to everyone out there in Radio Land. Um, <laughs> someone did a review of Hylix. And he said, oh, like, I've been, meaning, I've been meaning to play that. He said, like, oh, because he was like a comic artist and he likes comics. He's like, he says, and he's like, oh, in comics, like, we have a language we can say, like, oh, if you reference like Matt Brinkman or Michael DeForge or somebody, there's mm-hmm. like a language and like a vocabulary to understand weirdness mm-hmm. that games kind of lacks. Yeah. Well, the way I think about it is games are so young. Yeah. Like, it's what, like, we're talking from a very, very, very beginning, like 50 years old video games. Right. Like, and that's like well beyond what most people would consider to be the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about, compare that to say poetry, which is literal <laughs> millennia behind it. Right. And it's like, well, it actually kind of makes sense. We don't have much language. Like it is still so new. Yeah. Which like, I guess is one of the reasons why I like it. Right. Yeah. Like we're just kind of like trudging around trying to find everything as we go along. And who knows who will be, like, the language and the vocabulary for, like, indie games. Like, mm. will Yubi Nikki be, like, something like an easy comparison point for people to understand what that means? Will Islands be one of them? Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. I hope maybe <laughs> – I, I hope all these beautiful Indie Apocalypse contributors will one day – some of them will be touchstones of – Yes. Just like so. interactive discussion or whatever you call whatever game, whatever pretentious word we just eventually ascribe to video games. I want to be the grandmother of weird tapeworm twine games. That exactly. is my ambition. Right. That's what I want. Yes, gothic body horror twine games. Yes, game. yes. Well, I, I feel like there are like, like, I see like a community sort of slightly forming around someone who doesn't want to actively run a community, which is a weird <laughs> thing to be. I don't want to yeah. have people pay attention to me, but I need people to pay attention to me so I can tell them to pay attention to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. That is, I mean, that's the difficult thing about being like, be, being one, like trying to promote your stuff on Twitter. I, I mean, what I can do is highly cool promotion. I make a game and I tweet about it, but it's still right. like, Oh God, now I'm in this sort of weird, weird, not professional, but like getting into the realm of semi-professional relationship yeah. with social media that is also just my casual day-to-day social media where I'm like tweeting out dick jokes. Yes, tweet. exactly. Right. How do I balance I, this? Someone suggested I make an indie apocalypse Twitter account and I did, but then I had to do it with an underscore and I was like, I don't have time for brands. <laughs> this is, we're not indie apocalypse. We're yeah. indie apocalypse. Come I'm on. just a person. My name is Andrew. I am not an entity. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm Andrew, and I like video games. Yes, and I hate video games. <laughs> I, I combine those two into one thing. Uh, okay, so as before, we before I let you before we go because we are already approaching our half hour point. Oh goodness! Yeah, I know. It's just like it speeds by. It flies by. Someone asked me to talk about video games. So I'm just like, I hope you got half an hour. Right. Yes. <laughs> And like no, I hope you have three hours. My God. Um, but also, like I, I will, I intend to at least 
much like Indiepocalypse itself, I intend to ideally one point have repeats on in the future. So I'd love to have you back at some point. Oh, thank you. But I want to ha- also have like like Indiepocalypse, get as many people out there as possible. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so so yeah, my, finish out whatever you're going to finish out. Yes, my my last question that I ask everyone is, what would you recommend to all the hot gamers out there? No, all the gamers out there. Hot is too ambiguous a word that can mean a lot of things. All the gamers <laughs> out there. Also, I feel like someone might have branded it already with their fucking trademark or something. Um, hot gamers. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Yeah, because yeah, I think someone does a stream like that. And I'm assuredly in our fucking tech startup nightmare future. They've like <laughs> branded it. But the point is, what would you recommend to all the gamers out there that is something that is not a video game for them to get into? Oh my god. Or a tabletop game or anything else that's game adjacent. Uh, oh, I had so many games on the tip of my tongue. Well, throw um, them all away. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I am thinking. I'm just thinking. <laughs> that That's fine. Work. You think, and I um, just... I would say the books and artwork of Sean Tan, who is an Australian uh, illustrator and writer, and he does the most beautiful, strange. Uh, short story some with text some without text um his book um tales from outer suburbia is i would say the one book yeah yeah yeah. i would say that is the one book that i would recommend to literally anyone like regardless of age race gender interests anyone i would recommend that book to perfect and lastly it's a book so you can easily if you're not from your digital library just get it from your library yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, go, go, Google it, get yeah. it. At least in the U.S., yeah. you can like libraries are like, like they're like stores. You just say this book, please, and they just mail it to your, your library. That's amazing. Um, I I don't I, I live too far away from a local library. I yeah. think. And I, yeah, but, I live but, very but close. I own to, it. I live very close to a library that is like at one point was discredited because it was so <laughs> it was so underfunded. It's, it's Every license away, <laughs> you are yes, never going to Yes, so they were open like two days a week, and you couldn't. I couldn't yeah. actually have books delivered to it. Oh, That's and amazing. also, I couldn't go to a different town's library because my town didn't have a library, so they revoked my membership. So what you're saying is having fun was hard, even though you did have a library card. Yes, it was Tragic. very difficult. Tragic. I think it's accredited now, so I think I can once again go to the much larger <laughs> library network to get books again. But Thanks. Folks, libraries are good. They're very easy. I order them. They're put on a shelf. I self-check out. I don't even, you don't have to even have to see a person to rent a library books. <laughs> and also that's Sean with the, that's an AU, Sean. Sh- an AU yes, Sean. that's AU Sean T-A-N Tan. Yeah. Uh, Tales from Outer Suburbia is the one I would recommend starting with. Well, perfect. Okay. Well, Eve, thanks. Glad to talk to you. I'll see you again in about, a, about an hour <laughs> when everyone else is here. In the yeah. meantime, see I'm going to go to break. Bye. Bye. Hello, and welcome back to Indie Apocalypse Radio. I am here in segment number two with my second guest, Zenia. Got it? Did it? Um, close enough is Zenia. Zenia. Okay. Yes. I was like, I will approach that ZH with my American tongue and just ignore the H. 
Look, don't worry. It's uh, my name is weird. No matter how I write it, people will mispronounce it anyway. But that's well. Unless I write it in Cyrillic, there is no way to perfectly communicate the pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well, yeah. Once you are not using the same Latin alphabet, things just become more complicated. Yeah. Anyway, hello, welcome. Tell me a bit, a little bit about yourself. Oh boy. Uh, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm Zhenya or Evgeny or Jin, <laughs> uh, depending on when we met or how do you know me. Uh, I'm a freelance writer and energy designer who accidentally made Baby Labor, which is featured in Apocalypse number 12, fresh out of press. Yes, but, but yesterday once again. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> also, also featured in the shorter, worse graphics bundle. Yeah, shorter, shorter games, worse graphics. Yes, I which I think is running only for now. It's it's over today, I believe. Uh, yeah, I the impression I get is that it just ended. The um, Damien who runs it, I follow, and was also a was also a past contributor of Indiepocalypse, and I believe he I, like the impression I got from Twitter is that it ended, or it's ending. Oh, for ending okay, twelve, 12 hours. hours. Mm -hmm. So, hey, you guys still got 12 hours to go over to itch.io slash shorter, the sh shorter games with worse bundles and go, hmm, good idea. And then go over to Indiepocalypse and buy that instead. Buy both. Buy yes, both. or buy I'm both. both. I'm, I kid. You should buy <laughs> you should, Honestly, you should buy them both. Anything that like pro encourages people to spend money on games is very good, is good stuff in my book. <laughs> I can't agree more. So, baby labor. Tell me a little bit about this baby, and why <laughs> will he does he not want to wear a shirt so much? <laughs> well, uh, so baby labor is an is an absurd uh, workplace uh, tragedy, as a logline for it that I use mostly, and it's about uh, you hiring a baby that refuses to wear a shirt. Yes. Um, it he it baby boy Jackson the titular baby uh, refuses to wear a shirt because baby is uh, baby boy Jackson is a piece of shit. <laughs> Listen, but sometimes you need to be a real piece of shit to get up in the business world. Yeah, that's kind of the crux of it. It's just you are not the, in the power fantasy game of being uh, on top of the world. You are just the person who has to deal with this whole situation. So. So what was you? What would you? I don't want to say. What was your inspiration for baby labor? Because that feels as if inspiration can come from anywhere, not necessarily like a grand idea. But like, where'd you get the idea for baby labor? Uh, there were about four colliding eventually. So okay. first one was seeing my friend's uh, child. I think she was about a year at that point. For I want to say last Christmas. Which, did she also stubbornly uh, refuse to wear a shirt? No, no, she okay. she's a nice baby. She's a nice baby. Did not swear um, at you. Uh, no, but she did say to my other friend on the Christmas during the Christmas dinner, um, when uh, she's also a German baby, uh, which will add just adds to the comedy. Uh, okay. Who just said to the friend when he offered the pizza, she confused uh, the words for yours and mine, so she just repeatedly said nine uh, <laughs> to perfectly reasonable demands. And at that point, I wanted to make a game where you interrogate a baby in a very, very serious scenario. Okay. Uh, but the baby is basically just a Twitter chatbot. 
Um, that one was uh, Galactic Mercy, which is a prototype effectively for baby labor, and it does exist on each. Um, uh, but it's like that one effectively just morphed, uh, terribly warped uh, situation into baby labor. The other one was um, kind of a bit of a conversation uh, in the community that I'm part of, uh, Games Industry Gathering, okay. uh, which is an online community which, spo which was spawned by the plague. And, oh, okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and there was a conversation about uh, our uh, like. Well, one of the weird conversations, uh, I think it was Olivia Nelson and uh, Jake Wanderende uh, about uh, our baby. If if you record uh, a baby's a baby crying and you put it into a game, does this baby consider it part of the labor force? Yes. And uh, I'm not exactly versed in the uh, American uh, labor laws or practices. Right, but right. I heard you, baby we wouldn't know if that baby would be considered would be SAG eligible or not. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, afterwards, uh, just spite. Uh, the rest is just spite. Well, perfect. <laughs> that one of the two motivators for all art. Yeah. Um, so at that point, I was uh, I'm, uh, I was doing uh, writing actively a thesis on absurd games and other medias. Yeah. Uh, which I get in, and I had to produce basically four games, uh, including Baby Labor. Uh, like there was no implication that Baby Labor will happen. It was just eh, four games is enough, four short games. Right. Uh, the other ones are I Am Groot, YWDA, and uh, A Single Bug. All are these also all made. available on your itch page? Yes. And uh, so I would just like, uh, and I thought for the last one, uh, I should make something that actually has a more traditional gameplay, you know, like shooty, shooty, stabby, stabby. And uh, I did an enemy which was pretty cool to my taste. It was like the uh, Time Eaters from Legion Season 3. Okay. Uh, it's not that much of a spoiler. Uh, but then I was trying to make, because uh, like if it is absurd, then some mechanic has to be like bizarre enough and no explanation. So I thought about like, yeah, it is like a twin stick shooter, but you move the level. So you have to hit enemies with the level. Right. And um, trying to code it, I, I got mad and gave up. <laughs> and I figured like, OK, so I'm running out of time. Because at that point, I had like three weeks to finish thesis, and I had some writing to do. Yeah. And I just figured, ah, screw it. I'll just do what I can do in a weekend. Right. And that was Baby Labor, which was just um, uh, the, like the, uh, all of the setup technologically, uh, technically and uh, artistically was just the stuff that I knew I could do, like bam out quickly. Uh, the, the baby, like from Galactic Mercy, I think it's the baby plus the last level. Uh, and. Uh, yeah, and the text is uh, like I just figured, okay, be, like you hire a baby. Babies are literally the worst. We tolerate them only because they have a chance to become normal humans. Yes. And um, and at that point, somehow I don't remember where exactly was the moment where I decided to map every single uh, terrifyingly horrible uh, behavior in the current work environment and just yes. map it to the baby. Like not wearing a shirt, being effectively sexually harassing everybody. Okay, good. Uh, the uh, pick me up part was literal sexual harassment. Yes. Uh, nepotism. Uh, like I think almost well one of the first lines of baby was just, um, shit. What was it? Uh, the yeah. You know, the last part during the hiring process is like, why do? Why should I hire you? And the baby just says, I'm white male, and that's it. Right. Yeah. And so I just mapped all of that, and you have to deal with this shit. An absurd Perfect. part was uh, just um, instead of uh, 
how deep I can go. Uh, instead of uh, providing like the usual power, like power fantasy situation, um, I just wanted to uh, try the part from the thesis where the absurd game would be just like an absurd theater, uh, yes. the theater of absurd. Uh, would go against the, the Aristotelian arc, sort of it would flatten it or it just provide no ending, no satisfying ending necessarily. So I just removed the power fantasy and sort of gave it like a powerless fantasy with a bit of catharsis where you can yeah. uh, yell obscenities at the baby. I mean, in, in, a, in effect, you're on, the op you're like on the opposite side of somebody else's power fantasy, that being the baby, mm -hmm. baby by Jackson's power fantasy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who does get the to say everything and get, and get approval for everything. Yeah, like there is just, uh, you're powerless. Yeah. And uh, the only point where you are not powerful is when you just refuse the, the game, in a sense. Right. So, that, that was a good, great description. Thank you very much. That's what I was looking for. It bought me enough time to think of this <laughs> question, which I... I was kidding. It didn't buy me enough time. I, we could do this all day. Um, how did you hear about Indiepocalypse? Uh, I, uh, I honestly don't remember. I can't <laughs> give you a normal question, a normal answer. I, I'm sorry. Uh, I've heard that Eve uh, had the whole uh, backtracking regarding yeah. how she got it. But I don't remember. It just popped up, I think, on Mitch or something like that. Okay. And I was like, oh, this looks like baby labor material. And at that point, I was in the mood of sending baby labor everywhere just to see how far I can get, how far I can get away with it. Right. Uh, and I think it was at the same moment that I sent it to South by Southwest for awards. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I have, like, I'm still trying to figure out how, like, Indie Apocalypse fits into, like, sneaking it into other events and shows that it doesn't really fit it's not a game but it's not not a game and i'm like well how do i submit this to other things because it's not like there's no launcher for everything because i'm sure maybe it's possible to make a launcher that launches literally every possible engine but i don't know how to make that uh i think dread i think dreadx collection yeah uh, who is, uh, which is uh, a sim which is a similar thing to what you're describing um uh i think they have different uh like they don't only have unity they have a right, bunch of right. i mean they also have like a big huge horror blog with a lot more money than i do <laughs> that is fair <laughs> hey if, if, I mean, if dread central wants to sling me some of that cash to make an indie apocalypse launcher but i also like these weird things like they're a game boy game so do i have to license game boy emulators or they all or find ones that are like open source and open license that allow for commercial use it just becomes complicated and I don't want to ex like get started and then exclude people, you know? Yeah, that would be a shame. Especially since in the very first issue there were like eight Game Boy games. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, someone made like a whole like little mini collection of games. Oh. But let... Oh, one second. One... Okay. Good, I'm good. I thought I was going to sneeze. I didn't want to sneeze right into the microphone. But I've made it onto the other end of it unscathed. So. Um, yes. Yes, hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, so the text in Baby Labor, like, mm -hmm. it's, how do I describe it? Is like a skew is the, maybe the word I was looking for? Or, oh, uh, what was that? 
Uh, the font is, uh, uh, I believe you're referring to the font that I'm using for. Yeah, like that kind of like weird overlapping, irregularly spaced font. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, like yeah that the, uh, this is my favorite font. Uh, I'm I'm try I'm always trying to put it into at least one of the projects. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna send a link to the void where we are communicating. Oh, okay, so it is like uh, a it's like a bespoke font. Yeah, somebody actually made it. Yeah. Okay, wait. I mean, I was gonna say that name sounds familiar, so maybe I have seen it before. Oh, well, I mean, you've seen Helvetica properly. I have seen Helvetica. That's the thing. I don't know if I know it because I've seen Helvetica. For the for <laughs> the luxury of the video listener, it's Helvetica, but hell as in the hell place. Mm -hmm. Both of those L's, all, all double of the hockey sticks accounted for. Yeah, and this is, this is just the whole font as it is. And yeah, I think no, because... It adds like a very specific kind of like unnervingness to like, also like it's already in like an abstract space for the most part, aside from maybe the really like top floor that feels more like an office building, but you have like massive columns. I don't, are they columns? They're not columns, but um, they're like, they're, just, they're like geometry. Uh, yeah, there was uh, that was the part about like cheap, uh, not cheap, but fast uh, art assets. Because yeah. like I'm not an artist proper, but I have been working with Unity for a while to know a bunch of tricks to make uh, sort of programmer art look somewhat decent. Um, and uh, this was basically a couple of post-process effects that give it a little bit of a, a skew. Um, a random blur is the only way I can describe it, and yeah. um, this is just a ceiling and a, a ceiling and a floor. It's just a cube that is uh, stretched out, and the cylinders also are the same thing, and they go beyond the ceiling. So it like gives like a forced perspective where like the ceiling, the columns don't go into the ceiling and they are behind the ceiling or something like that. Yeah, uh, just to further the sense of uh, heterotopia of uh, the whole environment. But it go, yeah, it goes a long way. Just like even even just a blur goes a long way. As someone who's like played a lot of Unity games, and there's like a there's a flatness to a lot of like Unity games. Mm -hmm. Like when people talk about like you you know in quotations Unity games or Unity art, I think it means a certain thing that like looks like it's without purpose. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, specifically for mobile Unity games, at least like a couple years ago, there was a very specific glow that everybody was using, which is the flattest glow possible right. for like sci-fi environments or magic environments. That like you see and you like, yeah, I, it was made on Unity. There is like it's hundred percent Unity. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it's like the stuff that goes out of the box that people use, sort of. Yeah. And uh, and I think this is enough of a mix of uh, like co like code ball that I have no idea how to properly manipulate. Like right. it's like it's a bunch of different shaders trying to communicate with each other, uh, and it just produces a, a kind of uh, not necessarily desired or determined determinate situation, but definitely like um, deliberate. Uh, yes. Yeah. Due to it. Even if you go to like main menu, which I think features the same post processing, but it's just it's literally just cylinders arranged uh, weirdly. Uh, right, cylinders, and I think. Yeah, and there's like there's something there's a lot to be said about aesthetics, like a clear like aesthetic decision, mm -hmm. guiding design. 
Yeah, it was a mix of uh, Malevich and Kandinsky and a little bit of, uh, what was his name, uh, El Lisitsky, which were constructivists and uh, plus Malevich, who was suprematist. Uh, There's a specific movement, uh, which was basically just shapes representing something. So uh, with Malevich, is like, which I think main menu is just a rip-off, uh, <laughs> artistic rip-off. No, uh, no, what, what media, now, were they artists? Yeah. Okay. Just like uh, traditional... is the black square guy. So what was that? Uh, black square. Oh, okay. Uh, like one of the most famous abstract paintings. It's a yes. suprematism uh, art style. And Malevich is the person, like I think is almost like a sole person who stuck to it. Uh, Lisitsky and Kandinsky were his uh, followers slash students, I believe. It's all uh, Leningrad avant-garde specifically. Leningrad as in what St. Petersburg used to be during Soviet Union. Uh, and uh, yeah, it just it shapes arranged creatively that uh, sort of gives certain aesthetic. And the color choices is uh, just coolors.co, which is C-O-O-L-O-R-S.co, which just provides you with color palettes. And that's about it. Well, yeah. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, it, like I said, like I'm using, uh, like this whole thing could be reproduced in Ranpy or something like that, but I don't have the same degree of control and I'm like using control loosely. Right, right, uh, right. No, <laughs> listen, <laughs> a lot of things can be done easily, but there's the, um, you still got to do them. And there's still, oh. like, I think, like, the, the kernel of, like, the background that leads you to be able to kind of create something that is like this. It's why I asked that question of, like, recommend something that's not a video game. Because, yeah. you know, knowing these, like, Leningrad avant artists gives you a perspective on, like, how to approach even, like, simple, you know, shapes in unity that you wouldn't necessarily have if all you did was also play video games. Yeah, absolutely true. And uh, like, I mean, is, you know, you know the, the, there was a comic or something like that where an artist just comes to the boss or something like that, or like shows them a picture. And like, uh, so and the boss just says, so it took you 10 minutes. Why are you charging me like it took five hours? And they're like, yeah, it's like 10 years of uh, practice and stuff like that. Right. Like all the tricks were like literally years of practice and figuring out what I can do quick and fast. Yeah. Yeah. You don't. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of illusion to because a lot of the process in game design is obscured. Either these games never released or people come from like buried inside the credits of AAA. So it looks like these like stellar polished games are released like out of the ether. You don't see like the decades of work that go behind them. Yeah. But in I feel like indie games, uh, and specifically the weird ones, are more honest with uh, the route any feature has taken, in a yeah. sense. Yeah, a like lot of people, people just like throw up everything they make on their itch page and just leave it there. <laughs> yeah. And no, I mean, like, uh, so if, I put, like, if somebody puts a screen shake in their game, they will generally do it like people can trace it. And people right. will trace it because, like, all of the screenshotting games, like, it has existed before Vlambeer, but uh, it's because of Vlambeer that it's absolutely everywhere. Right, right. That's uh, that's certain like style of screen shake. Yeah, and uh, which like, and you can't imagine a game which has an action uh, uh, or uh, like uh, sort of action uh, aspect to it without having a screen shake. Like, the game is bad if it doesn't have a right. screen shake when you fire <laughs> yeah, or something, or even. And there's like and, there's like styles of like I, know, I it's something I've been thinking about a lot is there are styles of like pixel art that are like very widespread but look nothing like 
like pixel art of the era they're seeking to evoke. Like those styles don't exist in any of those kind of like late eighties, early nineties consoles, which is a weird thing. Yeah. And I do believe that uh, an indie creator would be more free to just say that, okay, we use as a reference this particular thing. Like, I have no idea if they did a talk or anything, but the game, or what was it, Star Renegades, uh, their battleground uh, scenes and their approach to camera is very reminiscent of Octopath. Oh, oh, ah, what? Ah, too many T's for my non native. Octopath Traveler, I believe. Okay. Uh, and I haven't seen this style of background, like this animated but still 2D background. Uh, and I do believe that they will just like, yeah, we've seen Octopath Traveler and we wanted to reproduce it, which uh, the bigger games would not do. And uh, I think I have like the proper, clearer, um, uh, the clear proof of this point would be that Disco Elysium has been released like in 2019, I believe. And uh, like no RPG released after Disco Elysium is as good as Disco Elysium. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, like uh, this is, uh, it's just, it, I'm, part of it is because their uh, development cycle is just not there. Uh, like a bigger game, like Disco Elysium took what, like five years, I believe, and 12 writers at least. Yeah, it's, it's uh, just one of those things where it's like, oh, how long did that take? And then it's like, uh, what was it? Oh, fuck, what's that space? Outer Wilds. I remember when Outer Wilds came out no. and then I think it was like Indiecade was like, congratulations to Indiecade fi- Outer Wild. Indiecade final is like 2005 or something ridiculous. Yeah. And it's like, even if somebody would do the like, thought cabinet from Disco Elysium or yeah. their conversational approach, or just somebody also lost a memo that, no, you can't do this much content. Uh, they uh, like the big, like, this is a feeling. This is not going to like confirm by anything. And it feels like they would be more reluctant to share the reference and what they are referencing right. because there is a um, even like in a more commercial indie spaces it's always like okay we don't want to do what has already been done right. even though this is kind of a way to uh, to um, you know work on that stuff and like it is still that you can still trace uh, like nobody just does it as far as I know like the screen shake era is not talked yeah. about in a sense yeah, but even you can like this, even forward. even Disco Elysium isn't like didn't come create out of a vacuum. It has a legacy you can follow back to. Yeah, it's Planescape Torment. Its art style is uh, reminiscent of certain things. They actually used uh, for Thought Cabinet. They just used a uh, fine art artist. Yeah. Um, like and that art is absolutely amazing for writing. They also use, I believe, like the different references. They're also the part is that. Uh, like discoism, I think didn't get a lot of memos <laughs> from from the mainstream because uh, uh, even the setting isn't something that uh, would be used. It fits it's, it fits here perfectly, but just because the people that were making it Estonians, mostly I believe, I think like at least eight out of twelve writers were Estonians, and uh, most of artists are Estonians. Um, like this is a, like my swamp is just uh, like I think three hundred kilometers away from Tallinn. Oh, like it's it's very our uh, it's like that that swamp vibe is very recognizable in a sense, uh, but that is, it's not something that would be used. You know, like they, we have like an era of bow, an era of snow, an era of jungle, a uh, year of uh, bow, a year of jungle, something like that. Yeah, um, which also like you can trace these particular stages, but nobody specifically does it, which I right. think is a huge shame. Um, there is a certain specificity and a certain pleasure, at least in watching people uh, uh, disassemble their references and their work process specifically, which is why, like, I try to remember, like, 
uh, the, how I got to baby labor, and even if it's like three and different prototypes and different ref frame references, because like there is a bunch. I didn't use specifically games for this situation because I'm like I'm not trying to do game design. I'm yeah, yeah. trying. I'm trying to annoy game designers in a sense and narrative designers. No, I, hey, no that's why I, <laughs> the intent is there. It's why you got into the issue. <laughs> Part, you know <laughs> yeah i mean it's just literally a screw agency and screw a bunch of stuff that i uh tried to deliver during the process of the thesis because theater of absurd uh and specifically the um, the books that uh and this is part of the recommendation that you were gonna ask yes um was uh the bold soprano which was uh, by uh ionesco which is just an attack on the concept of exposition uh, Beckett's Waiting for Godot. Uh, there was the Neil Harms, uh, just the brevity of the game and being comfortable with releasing the game so quick, uh, that is so quick to play through. Uh, this is just literally direct Harms. And um, the, uh, the style of conversation uh, that is not necessarily non sequiturs, but the baby ignoring what you are saying. It's yeah. partly absurdist, uh, absurdist thing, partly not, and also mixing comedy and tragedy. We can just all like tragic comedy in general. We can all trace it to effectively Beckett and uh, the bunch, just screwing around with the concepts. Because before them, there was either comedy or tragedy. Nobody has mixed it before. Uh, they, it's there. Uh, it's by their virtue that we have it. And uh, yeah, and even Kira Muratova, the, uh, the Soviet Ukrainian director, who's uh, one of the guiding was uh, one of the guiding principles was embrace coincidences. Like if somebody, if an extra just walked on her set, she would just like, oh, you look cool. Do you want to be in the movie? Do you want to tell a story? Which is literally what she did. Yeah. Or like one of the weirdest weirdest thing that she actually used was uh, she had a character. But then uh, during the casting, uh, and she already had an actor for this character. Right. But during the casting, another per another person came in, and she was and she really liked that character, that actor for this character. So she just took the lines of this uh, character and just split it between two of these uh, actors, and just asked them to <laughs> play them at the same time. And this is bizarre as shit, yeah. but also like really cool. And all of this is the stuff that I can like, like I can trace to and uh, use. And like the problem is like none of them are games. Right, right. <laughs> <You know>? No, <laughs> that's like that's, I remember. There's a um, something vague, um, like tangentially similar. There's a you know the direct. There's a director Elaine May during like her filming of the movie Mikey and Dicky, which she was just like leave the camera running in case they, the actors decide to come back to the scene. It's very much mm -hmm. like open ended style of. No, 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 let's just let the camera run and see what these people do and let them let these two like friends and actors play off of each other. Mm -hmm. and and that's the approach that I really like. Uh, Daniel Harms uh, sort of did the same thing, uh, unless it's just literally doodles. We have no idea. Uh, he had like short stories that are the size of a paragraph. Um, and uh, I feel like this is something that, uh, like, it's very, it's like this part, like baby labor and everything on my each is a hobby part. Like, nobody is paying me money for it to actually right. make them. They somehow make money. Yes. Well, I mean, make money. <laughs> yeah, like, right. I can buy wine once a week. <laughs> right, right. But, <laughs> make, um, make, I mean, you're, in terms of like itch, you're an itch millionaire. <laughs> but <laughs> that's all because nobody makes money on itch except for like, people who are already popular who also have itch pages i i imagine i don't even know how much money they make <laughs> oh so i am a one percenter somewhere i think um, I, I think you might be an itch one i think i think all you bundle <laughs> all you shorter worst bundle guys are itch one percenters now it's a bizarre thought 
Uh, uh, at but, least itch five yeah. percenters. I'll take it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's 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 just powering my vices anyway. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, what, what I was saying is that this because uh, like I can't do this like come like with I am Groot. I think is the best example. Right. Which is like for the reference, it's just a, 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 a text adventure where every single line is I am Groot. That's it. And uh, somebody sent me a fanfic, which is called I Am Groot, which is a Maki Maki Not Safe for Work uh, uh, story told from the perspective of Groot. Yeah. Uh, and though everything is I Am Groot, and I looked at it and I was thought like, hmm, this might be a cool experiment to just, you know, like do the same, but hook up some programming and scripting to it, right. and inventory system to it, and uh, some branching to it, and three <laughs> different endings to it. And then being not able to explain it to anybody and debug it. Right. No, uh, <laughs> right. How do you debug something when every line is yeah, exactly I mean, the same? So what was the line that you clicked? I am Groot. Well, that was helpful. Does it go but, to the right I am Groot? I don't remember. Yeah. But that part was, uh, but this is the part that is, feels to me most liberating and most fun. That uh, like yeah, I can just like grab the uh, brief, like brief coincidence that happened in my life in a sense, and then just merge it into a game, like a short game. Yeah. And uh, like this, uh, the ability to do this liberating uh, experiments, like liberating to me specifically as a designer. Right. Right. Like, uh, yeah, it's like it's probably why I still keep doing that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, not every game you make has to be like. You can make a spend spend a day making a game that's ten minutes, and it's not any it doesn't become any less of a game. Yeah, I mean, it is a game, and sometimes it allows you to do the experiment that no another game like actually it, uh, like allows it because like we have a bunch of uh, different. Uh, cliches and uh traditions that feels like sacrilegious to break like yeah. they're going like you know they're like to me the most despicable is that the game has to be fun uh <laughs> not all games have to be fun some no. games make the tragic cathartic moment and don't necessarily through the fact that you have just committed genocide on a grand scale uh, looking at naughty dog right but right. uh um, but like in the, so, like Avant Date, for example, it's a very, very short and game jam game that just features the also supremacist art. Uh, it's just triangles dating, effectively. There are, fun fact: their names are Tristan and Tristina, um, which is basically. Uh, but it allowed me to just write a most basic story. Like people just meet, they meet for, they meet, they have coffee, they go dancing, they have sex, which is a worst possible in terms of drama scenario you could write yeah. about a date. Uh, but in this short form and with some quirk, it absolutely is possible. And you can do something that would just, on the scale of like five hours, would be completely impossible to play. Also, you can do a game night with small indie games. You can play them in an evening, like right. you would do with a movie night, watching three movies. I tried to do it the other day to just, okay, I'm going to have a game night. And then like, I have to choose one game. What the shit? Uh, <laughs> right. Annoying I... as hell. Games take forever to play. In short games, you're like four to five hours. When people say short, they mean, oh, yeah, this game's short. It's only like six hours long. It's like Yeah, I can watch three movies, and most likely right. I will watch three movies. Right, I can, watch, like, I can watch... percent chance I will enjoy at least one of them. I can watch two pretentiously long movies during that time, even. Yeah, yeah. You can watch two of Lord of the Rings. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm, I could watch all of the Lord of the Rings and all of the Hobbit and all of like the Rankin Boss, wait, Rankin Bass, Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. I could watch every Lord of the Rings film ever made in the time it takes me to play like 
that Lord of the Rings game that came out last year or something. Exactly, yeah. But anyway, 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 as we're approaching the end of our half hour, I got to ask you, what would you recommend to all the gamers out there? That's not a video game. You've said a lot already. You've already been dropping things left and right for people to pay attention to. But like, here's your clear point. Well, here's your clear moment, rather. What would you recommend? Um, I would recommend two things, if I can cheat. So one is just uh, the Neil Harms, uh, which I will, again, just type to you in our void. Uh, Yes, I will writer who uh, was very, very not published during Soviet times because Stalin. Um, but he, uh, well, this is the one that produced, uh, specifically, I think it's Blue Notebook number 10 is the collection, who did like very, very short stories. Uh, and this is something that you could enjoy and maybe like re uh, scope the uh, time frame that you need to actually play a game or to enjoy a game or to make a game. And the other one is probably just like avant-garde, like uh, Russian futurists, maybe Italian futurists, uh, data, theater of absurd, theater of cruelty, theater of oppression. These uh, avant-garde, like not to sound, I already sound pretentious, who cares? No, I mean, hey, this is, Indiepocalypse is the home of pretension in video games. So, yeah, I know, but I feel bad about it. Well, and, but like I'm, uh, this train has already gone for me to sound like a normal person. <laughs> right, right. So um, uh, the thing is that avant-garde, uh, it uh, rewires certain parts of the brain uh, that allow you to make connections that you wouldn't previously make, which right. I think make you enjoy uh, more things. It doesn't make anything that uh, you already enjoy worse, although yeah. on occasion. Uh, it does because you just understand something more, but it's just allows you to look at more stuff. Uh, right. Just it opens your mind a little bit. A lot of people can be stuck sometimes on the idea of media and art needs to be solved. And I think avant-garde is a good way to like break that idea that everything needs to be solved and understood and explained yeah. in like a 20 minute YouTube video. Yeah, there is a very nice, uh, uh, I hope I'm not eating away from the next speaker. No, uh, no, the very, time. Great, the very, very great part about, I think it's from the book uh, Avant-Garde in Video Games by Brian Schrunk, which is also one that I can wholeheartedly recommend. Um, uh, there is a point uh, made that every avant-garde, the most avant-garde technique is just cut, copy, paste, <laughs> uh, collages and everything. Which is, uh, which is like helps with the fear of being non-original immensely. Yeah. Uh, like so immensely. Because like this is literally the way to do it. You just cut around stuff from different areas and then just mush them together to see how they go. Sometimes it's a fanfic, sometimes it's not. And sometimes a fanfic is really big, uh, like Rosenkranz and Gindenstern are dead, which is effectively a play, a play that is a fanfic of Hamlet that is also its own play. Yeah. And as we, as we head out, I would recommend to everyone that that's something I would always recommend is on Sunday nights here on twitch.tv, Evan Dom hosts the ambiguity program, which is a lot of like weird and old animation, including a lot of, a lot of abstract and like, you know, pre like Soviet era, Eastern Europe. There's a lot of like, you know, like Jan Smokmeyer and Preet Parn. He plays a lot of like, they're kind of like stuff and they trade very much in like absurd and avant-garde animation oh nice and i can would, you type it in the void <laughs> yes i would type it in i would i, I will give you his and during the break i will give you his i will just say evan dom i'm going to put it in the twitter thing i got gotcha. you 
and I will say, I'll give it to you in a second over the break. I'll give you like his exact thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing this week, but yeah, he does trade in a lot of like direct animation, like exactly on the, like, you know, drawing straight on the cells or straight on the, not the camera, but like on the canvas the and animating like that. Mm-hmm. Or No, drawing on the oh. film. There it is. Yes. Like drawing directly to film. Oh, this, like, this, this does sound cool. Yeah. This sounds does, like, like the Twitch for me. Yeah. It is one of part is part of the reason I started this show because I liked having like, it's also unarchived because obviously it doesn't own any of the animation. Uh-huh. And I like the idea of like a thing that people would show up to at the middle of the night and like hang out and watch these weird animations. But we're going to break. Um, thanks. Genia? Yes? Oh, better. 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 Perfect. Thank you. I will get there someday. Being an international mm-hmm. curator, I need to learn more languages or at least learn to pronounce them better. Um, thanks for talking to me. And then I'll yeah, see you in me. like half an hour. And I'm going to go to break now. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to Indiepocalypse Radio. We're here in our third segment with Christina. Hey, Christina. Hey, do tell me if my uh, mic isn't working well or anything. Nope, sounds good. Sounds perfect. Everything we need to hear out of a microphone does everything a perfect. microphone should do. Then hit me. Yeah, here's the first question, important question. Hey, Christina, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I was born in Sweden, which is actually where I'm talking from right now. But um, I moved to the UK in uh, 2001, on the 12th of September 2001, in fact. Oh. It's the safest time ever to travel. Yes, of um, course. <laughs> well, I mean, geez, like, I mean, like you like landed in the 12th or you took off on the 12th? <laughs> took off. And oh, okay. I'm surprised. Yep. Uh, well, I'd start off with that incredible darkness. And I might as well tell you, I'm married to a very nice uh, Englishman and so cur- currently living outside of Birmingham where I work in HR in the, a chocolate factory. Well, uh, I work yes. from home at time. And spend my free time attempting literature and game making. Hey, we know, have two I... cats. Where are, the cats? Where are your cats' names? Or is that private? <laughs> uh, well, they're so sickeningly cute, but it's Bonbon and Treacle. One of them is actually an amputee. He only has three legs. After ah, no, I am nasty fall. I am very familiar with like a home being a home for wayward cats and like hospice cats and oh, like we have two at the moment. Neither of which, both of which, kind of just showed up at our house, <laughs> and then. Well, just... then... No, they must think you're easily manipulable. I think so. Like they just keep like showing up one at a time, one after another, and it's just like, well, I guess if they're just gonna keep on showing up, I guess we'll keep taking them in. <laughs> yeah, they're very good manipulators of our affections, really. Yes, I've got the toxoplasmosis so well like burrowed into my brainstem at this point. I can't say no. <laughs> yeah, probably the same with me. I'd rather not know. <laughs> Yeah, let's just hopefully say, no take room. Right, I'll just say that I'm. I prefer to think that I'm empathetic. You know. Mm, yeah, I think you are that too. As opposed to uh, you, chemicals rewiring my brain. 
So you are not from issue 12, unlike the rest of us. Unlike the rest of our contributors here, you're from issue 7, right? Am I right? Or is it 6? Uh, that's probably correct. It no, I was wrong on both of them. It was 9. Mm. <laughs> I was kind of close to 6 because it's just an upside-down 9. But no, your game was The Light Prince. And I think yep. it's the... To this point, is the only informed game in the Z in, in the Apocalypse. Oh, though that makes me a bit flattered. I think maybe even the only informed game submitted. But informed is also like feels very niche. Hmm. Like most people, I think would would um head towards like as we mentioned earlier, Twine is more um f- people are more familiar with. I think in terms of like I'm going to make a game that is text only. That is quite interesting. Because in the days before Twine, or before Twine became mainstream, I'd say that Inform was the the big monolith of uh, interactive fiction making. Yes, yes. Maybe that's I... just the circles I moved in. And now the pendulum has kind of swung so that uh, Twine's become more mainstream, Inform's become a bit more niche, but there are plenty of games still made in it. Yeah, I am in the states in Massachusetts where there was a big IF community. So I've seen Inform plenty of times and like I had someone explain Inform extensively to a group. Hmm. So like if you know, if you know IF comp. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's run out of Boston, which I am relatively close to. Oh, well, that's really cool. That's really cool. I've never been to Boston. No, it's like, it's fine. It's a city. It looks like a city. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm way across the Atlantic, obviously. No, and I wouldn't recommend to take that trip to go to Boston. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I would like to go to the IF comp in the flesh. Well, right. once you can actually meet people again. Yes, no, I yeah, I have met, I guess, not realizing people who are luminaries of the IF community who have their own pages on ifwiki.com or .wiki.com.whatever. Mm. So yeah, no, it's a cool thing if you could like make the trip to go to. But I think I, I hope now this is something I really hope is that everyone being forced to do online digital events will make people kind of continue them at least partially in the future, even when physical events start hmm. back up. Yeah, the the whole well, the whole situation has kind yes. of been the great leveler, hasn't it? Right. In and a I, way, I think it's good. Like. I think a lot of people are inherently excluded by events being not only expensive if you were like, like GDC is expensive if you live in San Francisco. It's still like $300 or something for a ticket. Mm. But like, imagine say if you're coming from England and you have to fly, like which way is, which way is faster? <laughs> is it faster to go east or west? <laughs> west, definitely. Okay. But yeah, I'm, you I'm just like, no. I'm trying to visualize a map real quick, and I'm like, I guess England is a little bit closer if you go westward. Mm. Yeah, still like 12 hours traveling time. Yes, no, yeah, I, hey, me flying to LA is like six hours, and I'm in the same country as that. It's a big planet. Yeah. So. And it's a big country. Yes, you're telling me. I, it's a, it's it's a weird experience because it's big, but also like you get this culture of, I know someone who is like, Oh, it's close. It's two hours away. Cause I was talking <laughs> to someone who was like from Texas last week and they're like, Oh yeah, it's something that's kind of close is a couple hours away. And I've known people who are from like 
states in New England where it's like 30 minutes, unthinkable for like a commute. Yep. It's kind of a quantum planet, really. Right. So, um, in, in working with Inform, and so uh, did you, do you have like history of like that very specific, what's the, I think of them as like prompt style, but is there a word for that prompt style of text adventure? You'd call it the parser game. Yes, parser. That is the word I was forgetting. Yes. So did you, have, yeah. did you grow up with parser games? Uh, I wouldn't really say grow up with it, but the first one I ever played was uh, Colossal Cave or Adventure. Okay. The one uh, Eve mentioned earlier. Uh, I didn't play it in sort of the original version. It was a Windows version that was on a big old compilation CD with the um, sort of freeware games that my dad yeah. bought. And right, like I played it. I was for the price of whatever. Yes, pretty much. Uh, Platinum or something it was called. And I was already a fan of graphical adventure games and. Um, Colossal Cave got me hooked. I mean, I didn't really get very far, and there are things in it that you can't really solve nowadays without the walkthrough, like lots of mazes where you have to drop things and uh, then map them out by hand, and yeah, screw that. Yeah, but, it's, it's, it's born of a very different like era. Definitely, yeah. And parts of that I don't miss, like the whole hand mapping out of uh, mazes. No, no, just no. But right. The, <laughs> and learning... The whole sort of... Each Sorry, text parser's yeah. learning each text parser's language. Mm. Yeah, well, that's that's really simple when it, once you get into it. Like, um, if if you're talking about the playing, it's right. it's all really intuitive once you get the hang of it. Like, take axe, throw axe at dwarf. Okay, so even like back, like in the sort of like the more disconnected era of game design, they gravitated towards a familiar language among different text parsing games. Yeah. That's good. It's very helpful. <laughs> Cause I think that yeah. it's like, I think that's what puts a lot of people off initially is this idea that they don't know how to like interact with a text parser properly. I have noticed that. And that's something I'm, I've been thinking about once I've uh, submitted things to, well, in the apocalypse, but also to other uh, jams and itch. That um, because I'm, I spend a lot of time in uh, these um, IF circles where people in general will know parser, and they will play parser games. Yeah. Um, even if I, like I said, it's been a bit of a swing towards Twine. Pe people still know the language. Once I go into sort of general indie circles, people don't. In a lot of cases, they'll say things like, okay, this is really well written, but I didn't know how to do this. I didn't know how to go there. And, and I'm sorry if that sounds condescending. It's not. It's just, you don't know the language. You don't know the language. Right, right. It's Yes, it's exactly. It's it's like a different vocabulary you need to pick up. And there's, there's like a different structural language that you need to understand. Exactly, too. exactly. And I mean, I, I was lucky because I sort of ended up going through that for my love of uh, adventure games. But uh, other people haven't. It's it's just going to be unintuitive for them. Right. It's, it's, the, like, it's very niche, but not, but niche in like an interactive sense too. Yeah. I see what you're getting at. And I'd say that um, the light prince is, um, is a very traditional text adventure. I'm using that term advisedly. I mean, yeah. nowadays you say interactive fiction, but this is definitely a text adventure. Right. And the, 
I don't always make them tradition. I've experimented a bit with various things, but this one is definitely sort of you need to get from point A to point B. You have to solve puzzles and collect items and so on. Right. You have a light so inventory. When, yes. Yes. You have an inventory. So in that respect, it is a lot like, well, going all the way back to Colossal Cave, even if it's hopefully not quite as head-hurtingly difficult. No, no. I made it all the way through without a walkthrough, so... And I am, awesome. not a, I am not a parser expert, <laughs> but I do understand the language. I can speak it well enough, much like, much like with Spanish, I can get through it well enough to, to interact with it. Muy bien. That ah. actually, that, that's like the, one of the best uh, marks I could possibly get for that. I'm very happy to hear it because yeah, I, I do not want to create one of those games that's hard just because it's unintuitive. You know? Yes, yes, and that's that's like that's an adventure game design problem on top of a text parser language problem. Of like, oh yeah, definitely. I because I feel like it, having played like I did not grow up like I didn't really play that many adventure games growing up, or even like in like the pre sort of like Lucas Sierra days because I didn't really have a computer mm. that could play them back then. Ah, oh, I feel the pain. But like modern ones feel a lot more, there. Well, there's a lot more, a lot fewer death states. First of all, <laughs> oh uh, yes, yeah. Which was admittedly more of a Sierra thing, in my understanding. Yeah, Lucas Arts kind of came out against that very clearly. Unless you like really tried to see how long you breathe underwater or something. <laughs> oh yeah, but <laughs> I remember that one. But have you have you ever um. Have you ever uh, messed with like Adventure Game Studio before? Um, sadly, not yet, because like Eve said before, I'm not really a visual arts person. Oh. I'd love to be, and maybe one day I will get there. But yeah, no, not not AGS yet. No, but trust who knows? Me, neither was I when I was using it. <laughs> but, oh, but it's it's for making it's a very good engine for making those sorts of things. I'm sure there are Unity plugins that they've done ever since that are like also good at replicating that sort of style. But I just, much like inform, I think of it as like a very niche thing that is extremely like best in the field at doing what it needs to do, hmm. which is recreate yes. adventure games. That sounds like a fair assessment of inform and you're making me want to sh check out AGS now. Yeah. I th think it's still supported and everything. Oh yeah. Sure it is. I'm seeing it around everywhere. Yeah. Watch it. I still plugging away at AGS. So if, <laughs> so if they're still doing it, someone can still do it. Definitely. So have, have you ever thought to like in your experimentations, have you, have you ever had the impulse to like, I'm going to get is uh, obscure and is like, I want to make the most obtuse adventure game ass nonsensical adventure game kind of like where like you know obscure the puzzles in as much designer logic as you can you know that's actually very funny that you should say that because i do have a on my long long list of things to do i do actually have an idea for an adventure game a bit like that okay so, so one that is like fully aware of the obtuseness of adventure games and that legacy and embracing it yeah, the thing I was thinking of was this, I don't know if you played them, but it's a series of adventure games called Goblins, I made don't... by a French studio. They're from the 90s. 
Let me see. I don't know off night by name, but also goblins is a mm. very generic name. Oh yeah, it made by a studio called Cocktail, and it, it's spelled goblins with three eyes. At least the first one is so. Okay, that'll that, that's a bit more Googleable. Yeah, but anyway, the thing is, ah, I love them. Yes. As, yeah, I loved them as a young teen. I only played the first two, but I replayed them again as an adult. I realized the puzzles were just out there. They were just. I played them with my husband, and he just sort of. <laughs> what the hell were they smoking? Oh, this that is sort of some very Amiga UI. I. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, my idea was. And I'm kind of spoiling it now if I ever go ahead and make this game. It would be sort of generic adventure game. But yeah, the puzzles are, would be completely out there. There would be just game logic and no real world logic. Just and the like... game would kind of... No, the game going. would kind of be... Sorry. It would kind of be playing you so that in the end, uh, this weird cartoon logic would seem like the only way to do things. And then the game would throw some completely normal action in your way and you're just going what right because at this point your brain is training that like you could you don't go from a to b you go from a to c to z to q to d to three and then finally back to b pretty much yeah no i am a big fan of that idea i love the idea of as as you can tell by the magazine and by the former the previous speakers i've had on here i like the idea of people breaking down design and just like making very player unfriendly games. <laughs> I've noticed. Yeah. I like the idea of like games that are antagonistic, almost yes. Antagonistic to the players, honestly, mm. like not so much like catering to players as like an audience that must be appeased, but it's like making games that are a piece of art that players must wrestle with. And I see what you mean. I love the idea of that game, and hopefully it will one day make it from your list into the real world. Yeah, I'm going to have to do that now, don't I? Not, like, not immediately, not any immediate pressure, but, you know, because <laughs> I feel like that's something that needs to, like, germinate and kind of, like, be built bit by bit as you kind of, like, understand what... Because you need to also break your brain to build that game. Oh, wait. That's a good point. <laughs> right. hmm, maybe I can outsource it. At, at some point, you need to have, in order to design these broken puzzles, you must also be in that broken puzzle designing mind state. Hmm. Well, you could argue that goblins already did that to me. Yes. <laughs> I guess, maybe you've been living that life and you never even realized it. <laughs> that would explain a few things. Oh, man. I, I, I'm really, okay, we're running short on time, but I realize I, eventually I need to have like with when I have these special European shows, I need to eventually talk about the Amiga and the ZX, which are like things I have no perspective with. Uh, well, if, if it's any consolation, I I didn't play Goblins on the Amiga. It was ported to Windows as well. Right, right. But I never yeah. had an Amiga, so I'm as good as you there. Oh, good, good. I don't feel as bad because I feel like I see them and there's like this certain like aesthetic to them that didn't exist in like American games. True, true. Or games that we would have. And I'm like, it's this whole, I feel like this is entire world that I was missing out on, but video, all video games aside for now, for the gamers out in the world, what would you recommend to them? That is not 
even remotely any kind of game that they could play? Hmm. Well, a while back, I uh, read um, William Thackeray's uh, novel Vanity Fair, and it's a very long 19th century novel, but uh, it struck me as very modern in some ways. Okay. So, um, I, I did. I made the mistake of like I did with Coblins, where I just typed Vanity Fair into the internet. <laughs> <laughs> did not help me. I just got a, about the magazine. Uh, uh, sorry about that. No, I'm sure there'll be a disambiguation page. There is, yes. That's, I got it. That is me and bad searching. College should have taught me better than to do that. Mm. No, but so, yeah. Oh, okay. Long, epic, 19th century British novel, but something, something about the characterization feels really fresh in the... It's, I mean, it's of its time in certain ways, obviously, but it's also uh, it. It kind of has a detached look at the characters. Yes, and, yes. Um, no, that's qu- quite enjoyable. No, yeah, no. I'm just, just even like the Wikipedia blur. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. It's talking about like unreliable. Anyway, unreliable narrators. And like strange framing devices and deconstruction. I think that I, I thought about that the that kind of idea where something, as you described, that has, with time, looped around back to being like influential again, or like hmm. feeling unique. True. Because I. I mean. The, no, go go. The unreliable narrator is, of course, the original form of what you talked about the the game design that plays you rather than being your friend yeah and and that is like i'm sure this was like very influential to the point where it's like and i because i watched um some t- to to really date this i i went to the movie theater at one point last year or the year before and <laughs> saw night of the living dead because it was like it was the re the 4k remaster or something like that and I was like, uh, wow, this feels really fresh. And like a lot of fresh and interesting takes on the ideas of zombies, despite it being like a progenitor to that entire genre. And the idea that something like probably Vanity Fair, that is like a progenitor of a lot of these ideas, in being that is unburdened by those ideas, it can be, it like helps it to become more timeless. Yeah. Exactly. It, it originated a lot of the tropes, so they still feel fresh. Right. Because, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, us living in 2020 who are, like, inundated by things that are just iterating on iterations upon iterations, or, like, things feel stale where something that creates them is iterating on nothing. Or, I mean, it is, but not in the same, more, like, direct way that other things are. Hmm. But oh, oh wait, I have a question. A late late oh, entry question. That's not from Duncan. No, this is from Duncan. Okay, here we go. Got a question from Duncan here. Christina, if you could eat garlic bread, would you? Yes. <laughs> Great. Now do you like I'm not the vampire. <laughs> I've never considered the possibility that I was interviewing <laughs> vampires on these shows. Yeah, no. Maybe you should invite some. I I, I suppose I actually I would have to invite them into the call in order for the <laughs> can a can a vampire enter a Discord server without an invite? That's gonna puzzle me all night now. 
Does it count as a living space? Now, okay. We have a lot of questions for vampires that we can address later in the future and something I'm going to have to think about when I schedule these shows. I'm going to have to add that to the Google form. Are you a vampire? Yes, no. <laughs> just, just so I can know. But now, garlic bread. Do you like to add, do you like to put anything with it, or do you just um, eat it straight? I just eat it as it is. Okay. Well, perfect. I'm glad we got that last minute question in for you. In the meantime, we are going to go on a break, and when we come back, everyone will we'll all be hanging out here. Christina, thank you very much for joining me. And thank you. And I'm going to break. Goodbye. Hello, welcome back to Indie Apocalypse Radio. We're all here now, having a big party. You know, apropos of nothing, what do you what do you guys think about Twin Peaks? <laughs> well, <Wow. laughs> have you been watching it? Like, are you like partway through the first season? Don't want any spoilers about the third season? <laughs> I was, I, I I overheard my mum saying to my grandma in like the next room. She was like, "It's very weird, very <laughs> Eve." And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> uh, do do you do you enjoy this kind of uh, reputation among people that you know? Um, yeah, I, I I don't I guess I guess I'm kind of happy that I'm known for not really caring about what I like and yeah. just like liking anything, which yeah. is is good. I like that. But um, I think my, my my Twin Peaks hot take, and I'm bear in mind I am only six episodes into the first season, so it could be very off base. My hot take is that I love Nadine, and no, I would uh, marry Nadine. I would marry Nadine, Nadine. One night. Yes, yes, I love her. I yeah. think she's brilliant. She's amazing. No, I, I would marry Nadine. I I have a lot of feelings about David Lynch, and I guess Twin Peaks to a further extent, and like how he is like become very distorted in like modern pop culture mm. and how I think Twin Peaks often just becomes shorthand for weird small town in yeah. people's mind. I didn't expect it to be so comedic. Like yeah. I was like, Oh, this is a comedy. Okay. <laughs> right. Like, I don't really talk about that. No. Genre band. Right. Yeah. It's like, I think people also can tend to ignore, like, I think he, he, David Lynch has a lot of humanism in his stories for mm. as weird as they are. Mm. I think it's very important that they're also like very much about people and trying to understand people. Mm. It's not just yeah. weird, weird people talking backwards in a room. That's my, that's my that Twin Peaks hot bit. take. <laughs> I would love to be in the bit. room. In the room of like, I don't know what were they doing back when Twin Peaks was released, where they would be discussing it, but just like watching the conversation going on of like, oh yeah, have you heard about this detective story that got released? It uh, is it's called Twin Peaks. It's like three episodes in. Like, oh, how do you find it? Mostly soap. Yeah. You almost no detective anything. <laughs> right. I have to admit, I've never watched Twin Peaks. I got it on DVD the entire series. I'm gonna have to watch it. <laughs> oh, it's good. Oh yeah, I looking forward quite, to it now. There's a bit of a um, bump in the the first episode being an hour and a half long. I think like that really put my my mum off who I'm watching it with. Like she was just like that was very low. I don't think I can do like any more. And I was like they're, they're just that's double the length. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even like it's interesting to see like years after the fact. Like you're talking about like what? How did people approach this like back in the day? Because like. 
Fire Walk With Me was not well received as far as I know right when it came out. Oh, it out. was booed at Canes. Yeah. And I feel like it's been it's been relitigated recently where people are like, no, Fire Walk With Me is pretty good. Like, in thinking of like, in like the way art has been retextualized in like over the years. Mm-hmm. Especially if you, if you come to Fire Walk With Me thinking of it of like, oh, it's the, it's the TV movie for that CBS show or ABC show or like, <laughs> basic cable television show when really it's just like it's a david lynch movie that has to that is part of the twin peaks extended universe (laughs) (laughs) well i think it's a good point like for many uh, like i don't know art pieces like for, for many things uh, it's a point that a certain cipher has still to be uh, like has to be found or has to be provided and some some people like actually will provide that cipher to not understand but like to figure out why it's good if it is good in fact right and sometimes this cipher is just like hidden for a long long time see what you mean like yeah or even just like the context in which we view things is different now than it was like when it's not when it's no longer musty television like water cooler tv mm. mhm I've, uh, uh, I, I particular. Uh, this is the for the dramaturgy. I think is uh, like um, uh, there was uh, like I, all of the like I very much liked *Midsummer Night's Dream* Shakespeare's. Like uh, I just really enjoyed how it's written or and everything. Uh, but the every staging of it, I just absolutely hated. It, like despicable. Like I hate it. Like it was so highbrow and everything. Until I saw the one that was like literally just took it as it is, uh, like just a piece of romantic comedy, and that's it. <laughs> and at that point, like, oh yeah, that is how it's supposed to be enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Like that particular cipher uh, with like right people making it uh, in the right way. It's like it's funny. <laughs> it's not supposed my, to be anything else. One of my favorite plays is Lysistrata, which is an ancient Greek play oh, by Aristophanes. Yeah. So, and the thing is. I saw something like, oh, we're doing like a radical, like very, very serious, straight-laced feminist reimagining of Lysistrata. And it's like, Lysistrata is a play about dildo jokes. That is what it is. And it's mm-hmm. brilliant. And it's so funny. And it's just like, it was, uh, which is, I think my, my that's my problem with modern theatre in general is modern theatre is just so, so po-facedly serious all the time. Mm-hmm. And God darn it, we need a bit of silliness in the world. I second that I think that ties into what you said about previously about novels and AA games and so on that theater has become high culture nowadays you can probably hear the scare quotes there it's um, I mean looking back in the like late 19th century people went to theater for fun they went to see like adventure plays and action stories and melodrama and comedy because they didn't have cinema and then once cinema became a sort of pop culture, then there was this shift towards theater has to be big, heavy Greek tragedy reimaginings and so on, and culture, basically. Again, scare quotes. Right. Yeah. Well, it doesn't yeah. have to be. Because also it's like, because it's, it becomes like a money thing. Because as, you know, as physical theaters dwindle, like physical, like theater space only accommodates certain, like what certain people come to expect of it. Hmm. Yeah, it's a feedback yeah. loop, isn't it? 
the theatre scene is, I think, very, very comparable to the indie games scene as well, which is that there's no money. Mm. <laughs> there's just no money. And also, I think the whole thing of, you know, I want shorter games with worse graphics. I want shorter plays with worse staging. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> right. Yeah, just two people on the stage talking shit about each other. Yeah. Like, like David Mamet, properly David Mamet without money. <laughs> and it's like, oh, we don't have any money, so we're going to put... So so this is another thing. People, people, this is my number one pet peeve. People do like a production of, of Shakespeare where everyone's wearing black jeans and T-shirts and they've got all these like bare tables from Ikea and they're like, we're doing a minimalist reimagining of Shakespeare. No, you didn't have any money. And that's fine. <laughs> but... Uh, I uh, just like cut up some cardboard for gosh sakes! Like, put, make yourself a little crown. Be have some fun with it. Jeez, at least dye the t-shirts. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think that comes from like people view old things with like a certain austerity. When it's mm. like as if people in like the 13th century, or whatever, didn't did not also shit post, and I'm sure they did. Yeah, definitely. Half of Shakespeare's plays basically are shit posts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as people like, I think they tend to like view them through this lens of ah, oh, they were so everyone was so much different back then. They weren't like now. We have so little respect when people also lived twenty four hours in their days back then, and they filled them with something. Not everyone was like miserable all the time and dour and serious. Yeah, you're right. This is all alienation. I think I have like a couple of examples. Like this is uh, from Russian literature, uh, which is like Harms, Tolstoy, and Chekhov. Like uh, they're all somewhat revered, at least in Russian culture in general. Maybe Harms less so, but it's just because like we knew about him only in like 1980s because again Stalin. But like Tolstoy with War and Peace, which is a, which is a doorstopper. It's just it's a long book, but also Tolstoy is insane, and he was literally just writing a fanfic about a war that happened. That's it. Yeah. Uh, but it's revered by virtue of size, effectively. Chekhov, like Harms, uh, he is like story like uh, posthumously published. Like we don't know if it was just doodles in a diary or not. Like we have no idea if they're finished or unfinished. In some cases, they are unfinished, and they like there are certain attributes applied to it posthumously. And the only one that, out of them that was like actually is some is not, like was the person because like Tolstoy also was rich as fuck, um, and he tried to be a peasant all the time. Um, he, he was weird. He was an insane person. Um, Chekhov was the only one with a job. Like Chekhov's gun and all his principle, this was because the guy has a job. He had bills to pay and he <laughs> paid them with writing. Uh, but, and we applied like to all of those rules uh, to these three people in the same way, even though the circumstances are extremely different. It's just their product has been left and you can do whatever you want with them and uh, approach them in any way you want. But yeah. of course, in Russia, like saying anything about war and peace other than a good thing, even though like almost none of them read it. Like, it's hard to to read War and Peace. Also, why would you? <laughs> it, um, very long, it takes a long time to read it. Yeah, I mean, this is like, I mean, to be fair, I probably takes about the same time as to finish Cyberpunk twenty seven to seven. And to be honest, in this situation, War and Peace is a is a time better spent. But still, like, I mean, you might as well read a book of Chekhov, and you will have like seven stories, uh, yeah. seven plays but that are actually good, or something like that. But can but I get on like Twitter just... and participate in the War and Peace discourse? You know, 
<laughs> oh my goodness. I had such the other day I was on Twitter. No, I wasn't on Twitter, I was on Reddit, which is kind of explains how why it explains I, a lot of things about I it, dare never travel there unless I need to find information about something. <laughs> <laughs> and um and someone mentioned they were like talking about frightening scientific theories and someone like mentioned the other thing I was like, oh, what if AI like got intelligent properly intelligent and rose up against us? And someone replied, Oh wow, yeah, they do that in Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. And it's just like, yeah, and every other science fiction piece of media mm -hmm. made since nineteen sixty and probably before that. And I was just like, I can't face like an entire year of people doing like hot takes about AI because they played Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. But I'm I mean, sorry, like, I just can't. And if you think about it, even before like they were robots, they were probably something else that was created, you know? They were yeah. like homunculi or but the same yeah. I, the same principles of like humanity upon these human made creatures. Yeah. And nothing like nothing against Cyberpunk twenty seven well, actually I probably do have a few things against Cyberpunk twenty seven seven. But like fine, but it's like don't treat it like it's doing something new and radical because it's not. Mm -hmm. It's it's fully going full cliche cyberpunk and maybe that's okay storyline wise. Nah. I sometimes fall uh, down nah. of like internet critics who clearly only watch things made by Disney and children's cartoons. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> they're flailing at like critical analysis. And I'm like, I've become weirdly fascinated by it. I'm like you Wasn't have like, no frame of reference. I just remembered there was a Twitter thread that in which basically uh, jazz was renamed Persona 5 songs. Yes, yes. <laughs> I I think one week I was calling that I was calling the um, like name something besides a game quite segment the 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 Shibuya is an actual place not from Persona Five Memorial segment because I remember <laughs> seeing posts of people like oh this is like Persona Five and it's just like no this is like a they were talking about the like the new World End with You game and people were like oh mm -hmm. big Persona vibes it's like well no it's not big Persona vibes it's big Shibuya vibes. <laughs> that place in Japan mm -hmm. that both games take place in. But yeah, people like, and you see like there is this, there is the reference they want to have and the connect, the dots they want to connect, but like the cultural like touchstones are like just beyond their like point of view. I think this is the level of specificity that is like hard to reach, but also very desirable. Yeah. I don't remember, like, I, I want to say it was Malcolm Gladwell about uh, the similarities between country and uh, hip-hop scene, where country and hip-hop scene are, like, they have a more contained, uh, not contained, but um, they don't appeal, they don't deliberately try to appeal to a wide, wide audience. They deliberately want to appeal to a hardcore audience, which is why they're allowed to be more specific. Yeah. But also this specificity also creates like a certain language that persists specifically to that part. So like Shibuya being used like uh what is it in Yakuza, World Ends with You, uh Persona. Yeah, it's probably just like a lot of stuff out of Japan. It's a yeah. it's just prominent a, area. It's just a prominent Japanese area, right? And it's very specific. So like it yeah. can be used in Japan area because like everybody knows about Shibuya and to some extent around the world. But like other than that, it's just like, oh, like this becomes just a, uh, this particular game vibe or something like that, because yeah. there is a lack of 
uh, understanding to get uh, the specific reference, which is like not a specific reference, it's just a specific thing, specific setting that happens. It's like, Cherno like Chernobyl, uh, Chernobyl power station for like Soviet Union is effectively that. It's like New York, Times Square, for example. It's just like it's a very specific thing that just everybody will understand. At this point, Shibuya is becoming one of those things. Yeah. But like you can't get uh, in the other way. Like if you make a game about something very specific and that specific thing just hits, like it will be also like effectively like just attached to that. I had an idea in mind uh, for a long time to do something that is set in 1910s uh, St. Petersburg. Uh, but uh, and like uh, it's still cooking up in the back of my head. But like one of my biggest fears, like people would just say like, oh, it has a very nice Victorian London vibes. And that would have to stab a lot of people. <laughs> yes, that is like right. They're like outside of um, what's it like in the broad, especially like with the 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 Hollywood how the Hollywood machine is a big and effective machine, and it like tends to drown out a lot of other stuff, and it also tends to flatten and genericize, you know, non-U.S. countries. This I mean, really I reminds me. Oh, sorry, go on. No, I was going to say also it tends to genericize and flatten the, the United States as well. Yeah, this really reminds me of, I don't know if any of you guys saw the thing um, about the guy on Wikipedia who had been doing the Scots language entries for everything. And he just, he just, he didn't know Scots. He had just been doing it all in like this caricaturized Scottish accent. He was like an American dude. And <laughs> yeah, and so people say, well, he's actually gone a long way into basically contributing to the destruction of the already very endangered scots language yeah and it made me so angry because like i i you know learned a bit of scots in school and scottish people, i remember that yeah and we're really you know it's we're really proud of it because it's a beautiful scots is a beautiful language as well yeah. and to see it being flattened into like you know people just miss misspelling english words basically right it was just like, you know, it, it's it's just the complete mistreat. It, yeah, and you're right, the flattening of something into a, the the language that he knew, which was, you know, characterized Hollywood Scottish accents, yeah, which is which, actually not real Scots. Which I, is I a whole other least, thing. Yeah, I, I always mention when I mention Scotch language, Scots language, or this. Um, one of my favorite twines is a twine called Rake by Harry Josephine Giles, which is... I know that uh, Yeah, it's great, it's great. Um, it's like a interactive fiction about, advent about having anxiety in modern-day Scotland and also being a, like, warrior in um, sort of Celtic Scotland. Uh, and it's half in Scots and half in English, and it's really, really good. Uh, and, yeah, Twi that's one of my favourite twines that I've... I've is it rake as in uh, the guardian tool? Uh, it's rake as in R A I K, I believe. I could be spelling it. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a. I, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong as well. I I moved from England when I was six, and I never lost the accent, so I pronounce Scots really terribly. <laughs> Harry Josephine Giles. All right. Yeah. I mean, she she does great poetry as well. Uh, she did a good poem on BBC the other night, which was like. Uh, like explicit erotic poem, but she replaced all the nouns and verbs with names of fantasy lands from fantasy novels. That oh, that's nice. oh, that sounds, sounds brilliant. 
It was because yeah. Uh, so since Eve and Zinya were not here for our earlier segment, our earlier late breaking question, I gotta ask you, Eve first, if you could oh. eat garlic bread, would you? Yeah, I love garlic bread. Now ten out of ten. Plain? Uh, e- mm, in an ideal world, I'm having it with lasagna. Okay. And you're just like eating some lasagna and then dipping the garlic bread inside or? Uh, so I'm eating my lasagna and then when I've eaten the lasagna and there's like, the, you know, the bits of sauce left on the yes. plate, I get my garlic bread in there. I wipe that up. It's good. Okay. Zenia, how about yourself? I'm looking out the delivery uh, right now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm literally thinking about having it tomorrow now okay. that you have mentioned it. Perfect. Um, that is, is, it, is there a theme or, a, a, like, what is the source of it? Like, is there <laughs> what a, a meme now. or something or a cultural situation? I, I think it's seriously trying to figure out if we're vampires. Well, this is, this is, chat, this is question asking all-star Duncan, whose previous question, I believe, was, do you like chocolate milk? So I just think... Duncan's got some important questions that need to get asked. With chocolate milk, it's just like microwave that shit and make it hot chocolate. What are you doing? Huh. Far superior. Sorry, that's a hot take. I've, I've never. I suppose. Well, actually, I say that. I don't know if that would work to make No, I was going to say, like wouldn't that. that just curdle your chocolate milk? <laughs> you can microwave work. milk. Might work. I, the last time I drank milk, I, it was partially spoiled and i've never drank milk ever since Ooh. so it's I, not milk's fault <laughs> oh, i guess that's you can have hot funny. milk yeah don't blame yeah you can have hot milk that's what you that's the stereotype of warm milk to go to sleep yeah and it's delicious the other the other day i my milk went off and i was eating cereal with it and like the first bite i was like this milk tastes funny but i like, didn't want to believe it so I just kept eating this whole bowl of milk, of uh, cereal with sour milk. And at the end, I was just like, what have I done? See, I had a chunk, like a full. Oh, God. Like it was fully soured, full chunk. It was like late. It was like very casual. Like I would just pop open this carton, and take a sip from the carton real quick. <laughs> so it, I didn't have like the warning of like a clunk of it going into a glass first or anything. <laughs> the clunk. Oh, just like this, oh, this weird yogurty substance I'm pouring out. No, just straight, straight into the. Gl- it was gross. I'll never do it again. It's turned me off the substance entirely. I'm sorry to milk, <laughs> to, to big milk out there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. So does anyone have any questions they had for any of the other guests here that you're thinking ah? while they were like having during a different segment. Um, Christina, just because I'm interested in it, what would you say is your favorite uh, text adventure game that maybe I, maybe it's not too, too popular? Hmm. Uh, that, that's tough. Obviously there's gonna be lots of contenders there. Um, I think one, If I had to choose one, it might be Metamorphosis by Emily Short. It's a few years old now. It's from uh, like around 2000. I've it's... only played Galatea by her, but that was amazing. Oh, yes. Galatea, obviously brilliant. Uh, Metamorphosis, I think, is the best written 
text adventure game I played. It's um, very, it's very much sort of um, lonely character exploring a mystical world with no other, no NPCs, not not much danger, but very much sort of mystery and uh, darkness and loneliness. It's based on uh, a bunch of alchemical puzzles where you, the puzzles are really well designed. It they basically boil down to you have machines that can turn things into other materials or change the size and then you can use them to, uh, to solve various uh, machine-based puzzles. Kind of a bit like Myst, I'd say, in text adventure mm. form. And the writing is really brilliant. It's, oh, thank you. Yeah, it very well recommended. Thank you Hopefully very much. I'm sorry. It does. I'm looking up emails because I think Emily Short will be at um, an event coming up soon that I will also be at, but I'm looking at the exhibitor list. So I'll just like, I'm just going to vamp and fill air then. So, hey, everyone, how's it going? Um, <laughs> what do people think about video games? And playing video games. Interesting, huh? It's weird how you like plug a thing into a box and then it just like opens up a new world wouldn't you say yeah Fascinating. i guy. found my me and my brother's old game boy advance because i'm staying at my parents house over christmas break and i'm playing Link's awakening dx for the first time and i'm like these the, the, the gba is a really good system it's a really good little console yeah i've been playing somewhat recently through all of my like i had had a moment where i was collecting old games like before there's a boom at it and i realized some of them are very expensive now so i got yeah. in very early and lucky to get like my copy of earthbound and stuff but um yes i've been so i was like i've been playing through a lot of them and just because i've been fascinated by old games and old design and mm-hmm. like Game is bad at games are bad at preservation and that sort of thing unless you are like the most popular. Mm. Um, is there? Can you think of a game? This is a question I think I've been thinking about because there are. I think it's very easy to find other forms of art to which this applies, but can you think of a game that is? It does everything it means to do. Like it, it hits its goals. It, like it's not dated or bad. But it's you look and go ah yes this game is very unlikable, but not Ooh, because unlikable. it's bad. Yeah. Oh oh, I know exactly what you mean as well. My it, well, like my, my touchstone is like the um the film Jean Dielman, which is like three and a half hours of a woman doing nothing. <laughs> but I think it's engrossing and wonderful, but also utterly unlikable, and it's not something you know, I would just like hmm. hey. Check this out. This woman does nothing for three and a half hours. It's just her life. <laughs> the most exciting thing that happens is she drops a shoe brush at some point. I mean, I guess the the probably one of the most literal answers to this is there's um a gosh, what's the name of it? It's a it's its name is like zero. Uh, it's like lose lose or something. Um, 
And it's a game, so it's a sort of reskin of um, Space Invaders. Okay, yes, I think I know where uh, this is going. I'm happy. I'm yeah, it's a reskin. I'm sure everyone here knows it. It's, I guess, kind of famous in the indie games, but it's the reskin of Space Invaders where every time you successfully hit an alien, it de- randomly deletes a file from your computer, like any file. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so it's actually classified as like a virus, so it's, uh, but it's... So it does exactly what it's supposed to do, but it's literally damaging. Yes. <laughs> That's awful. I love it. A, a, yeah. Perhaps a very extreme version of it, but good nonetheless. Yeah. Hmm. Well, if if we count games as sort of good but unlikable, I'd say a Twine uh, interactive fiction game by Porpentine, if you're, well, you've yeah. probably heard of her. Uh, Unlike Paris, you going to say. Uh, Parasite. Oh. It's not one of her more famous ones. I um, I, I do like Parasite. Yeah. yeah, I mean I I'm not I'm I'm on the fence how I feel about Parasite because it got some quite negative reviews. I haven't reviewed it yet on uh, the interactive fiction database. I kind of want to, but I have a long list of games I want to review. But the thing is, it's it's really powerful. It's well written, but it it felt kind of antagonistic to me as a player when I played it. Because um, it's, I mean, not not spoiling too much here. Porpentine is a trans woman, and a lot of her game, well, not not all obviously, but uh, her games tend to tie into things like uh, the discrimination she faces as transgender and the sort of general uh, society bias about gender and sexuality. And um, Parasite is kind of. It's about a world where people can sell out their dreams as VR games for other people to experience. And the player is a trans woman who's short on cash. He's doing this. He's selling her dream to some big faceless corporation. And as they're going through her dream to sort of literally stake out their claim, she realizes it's the dream she had as a teenager where she first realized she was a woman and not a man. And the thing is, I don't know, it's it's a really good image, but it's so personal. I kind of didn't know whether it was... I don't know how to finish this sentence. Right, no. I mean, I, I think similarly, like in the terms of getting bad reviews, but that I really love, I always find it funny that Cyber Queen, one of her most iconic games, has quite bad reviews on the... Um, uh, IFDB because people were like this game I, there's no way to win it just kills you in increasingly horrible ways it's like I love Cyber Queen it's like it's like awesome. you're getting there you're getting there <laughs> I love Cyber Queen it was like Cyber being Queen in rule. a game version of I have no mouth and I must scream and no I'm, yes. I have no mouth and I must scream also has a literal game adaptation but yeah it's awesome it yeah Cyber, Cyber Queen is great I love Cyber yeah. Queen and it and it's that still like and I think I talked about this bit in my dissertation about like, I think Porpentine really plays with the thing that came up, you know, from text parser games, which is you have this kind of antagonistic relationship with the text parser. Yeah. Because it's just like, let me go through this wall. And text parser is like, did you mean pull the wall? <laughs> and it's like, no, I didn't. I mean, now that you think about it, the text parser is kind of like Hal. Or GLaDOS, yeah, depending yeah. on which generation. Or, uh, or, yeah. cyber, or Cyber Queen herself. 
Oh my god, it has that voice, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, it does. What did you do to that poor washing machine? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Sorry, I was just listening. I was just listening to you talking. I'm like, oh, everyone stopped, and I gotta open my mouth again as the host. Um, <laughs> but we are we are rapidly Sorry. we are rapidly past our two-hour mark. We are past it. So, in the interest of not keeping everybody here forever and releasing like a five-hour podcast, we're going to. I don't see a problem with that. I, I, listen, I don't like listening to two-hour podcasts, except they're very long. <laughs> I can't commit all that time. I don't uh, need to listen to it. That's the thing. <laughs> ah, yes, exactly. Well, I mean, neither do I. I just need to put it on the internet and just hope other people do, and or like download and go. Ah, uh, I'll get to it later. I wonder if I should put like timestamps, but. I cut out all the music, so it really doesn't matter. You just got to listen all the way through. But the point is, the point that I'm getting to is we're going to talk about plugs. And we're going to see what plugs everyone's got. Starting with Eve. Eve, what plugs have you got for us today? Um, well, you should buy Indiepocalypse issue 12 and all other issues, but especially issue 12 because it has my game in it. And I kind of like my game. I think it's good. I think you should play it. I'm and a fan of your also, game, Eve. Thank you. And while you're there, you can go on to my uh, itch page. I'm at Kafka esque, which is Kafka like Franz Kafka, and then esque like the escape key, one word, uh, where you can play weird Bitsy games I've made for various Bitsy jams. Yeah, go and have, go and play them. Do you have any games in the Bitsy boutique or that little? Is that what that's, that's called? The little oh, thing. Well, well, I'm I'm not, I'm not aware of it, so no, I've not been invited to. Oh, oh, there is. Get on that. I, I, I don't know. So here's the thing where I'm like, I trying to think of people's Twitter handles they go by, or like what their names are offhand when people fucking change their name all the time on Twitter. But it's the it's like the little treasure chest that you open it up and it plays bitsy games. Oh, I have no. I have never heard of this in my life. Okay. Well, I well. So no. I will look it up real quick. Um, rack or ragzo, candle.itch.io is oh candle candle for. yeah candle. they do they do great stuff yeah yes the bitsy boutique if you go if you go oh. the, if you go to their itch page I think it was for like um fuck what's the, what's the alt game event out in England is um for oh, oh EGX maybe no it's not EGX. Maybe it is. It's not out. It's pretty mainstream. I think Feral Vector is the only one I've heard of. Maybe, maybe Feral. Ve I think it was. It was at one of those, I believe. It's a very cool thing. And I. It's it's very cool. I I like it a lot. It's a little treasure chest, and you open it up, and it just has arrow keys and a little screen, and you play Bitsy games on it, and it has like oh. a couple hundred Bitsy games. Sounds lovely. But anyway, enough <laughs> <laughs> talking about other candles, cool bitsy creation. Xenia, what have you got to plug here for the people? Well, uh, well. so first of all is Indiepocalypse number 12. Here's a good um, one. I believe it has been mentioned. 
Um, second is a bundle on each, uh, which you have literally 12, I think 11 hours now to get. That, which is yes, that is for the people forever. watching this stream only, because by the time this goes up, it'll be long off. Well, you could have taken it, but now you are forever in my grudge book. Yeah. Um, uh, also, uh, yeah, also my itch in general, a waywardwriter.itch.io, a wayward as in I, like, I, I've messed up my ways. And um, then check out Save Koch, a game, Save K-O-C-H. And I think this is all that I have a monetary share in. Perfect. And I don't care about everything else. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who needs everything? Eddie. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, Christina, what have you got to plug for us today? Um, well, I recently completed another informed game, much shorter than The Light Prince, called Swords Story. It's on itch, and uh, it's um, basically the idea is that you are a cursed sword in a generic dungeon, and you try to get an adventurer to pick you up and manipulate their mind so that he can't put you down again. Basically, it was um, it originated from the whole concept of cursed items that you can't drop in uh, roguelikes and um, Dungeons and Dragons, that sort of thing. I started wondering what's in it for the cursed item. Maybe it's sentient. Maybe it just wants to go out and have adventures. All right. So, uh, my, check it out if it's of interest. And also, if you're interested, you can go and have a look at my Patreon, which is Christina Nordlander. So my real name. And I mean, I need to warn you, most of that stuff on there isn't games. Most of it is static fiction. But whatever. Most of the, have, most... have a read. Most of what Indiepocalypse will end up being about is not games in the first place. Anyway, I am True. very much like interested in, in the world outside of games as, ga as well as games. Mm, I noticed. So yeah, it's a, give it a read. And if you wanted to create more, you can always push that button, ring that bell. Cliche, cliche, cliche. Exactly, exactly. And um, I have got, of course, I will say... Buy Indiepocalypse every issue. Buy them all. Subscribe to the Patreon. Subscribe to the newsletter. If you subscribe to the newsletter, you can get little previews of the zines without the comics and the, all that stuff. But you just get like the little like profile picture for each game. And you and also I email you every month to tell you it's out. And you should buy it. Um, this sounds like an excellent idea. Yeah, people. A couple of people have actually donated to that newsletter page, which is a little weird. But I'll t take their money anyway. They'll give it to me. Like on Patreon or anywhere else. Um, submit your games to Indiepocalypse. Indiepocalypse.com slash submit. Submit your comics or reviews or anything else you think would fit into a zine to Indiepocalypse.com slash zine. Uh, go to Indiepocalypse Radio. Subscribe to, subscribe to this Twitch channel so that I may get 50 people so that I can start... So you can start giving me your Jeff Bezos money every month. And I hope... I think... If you're an affiliate, you can get paid in subscriptions, but I don't think you have to run ads. I don't remember. Um, that's it. Uh, support Indie Apocalypse. Thank you all for being here. And thank you. Well, thank you. That is the end. It's of... been an honor, Andrew. Well, thank you so much. I am going to transition to the ending now. Goodbye, everyone.